Hi, I'm Matt Hotho with Hyde Park United Methodist Church in Tampa, Florida. Have you ever wondered how God can be both all-powerful and yet come to us as a baby in this Christmas season? Well, maybe there are times in your life where you've needed God to be all-powerful and mighty, and at other times, maybe you've needed God to empathize with your hurt, with your pain, maybe even your loneliness. These images of God compete throughout Scripture. And in today's scripture reading, God speaks to the Israelites as both a king and a comforter. Isaiah 40, 1 through 11, is a poem that God speaks over the exiled Israelites and tells them that a future of hope is coming. In this short message, our senior pastor, McGray de Vega, explores these two images of God and how we can understand power as being both self-sacrificial and empathetic. Check it out. Let's pray together. Oh God, open our eyes to empathy, curiosity, and humility, that we might be generous and compassionate toward others and ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's a plot point that I'm sure you've heard many times before. The rightful king returns to conquer his enemies and retakes the throne. That's a theme we've seen time and again throughout literature and popular culture. Young Arthur avenges his father's death to assume his rightful claim as the iconic King Arthur. Aragorn goes from being a wandering ranger to command an army and retake the realm of Gondor in The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. And young Simba returns from self-imposed exile to retake the throne from bad Uncle Scar in the classic Disney tale, Hakuna Matata. I mean, the Lion King. We've seen that narrative many times, almost like it's embedded in our collective conscience. Wait for the rightful king to return. He will avenge his foes, vanquish his enemies, often through violence, and become the rightful king. So, when we get to the latest stop on our tour through the hymns of Advent called Songs for the Waiting, these images may pop into our mind when it comes to the hymn, Come Thou Almighty King. I mean, the, the title alone suggests that Jesus is coming to do a King Arthur-style Simba attack and return like Aragorn, and we're just little hobbits here to cheer him on. I mean, is that the kind of king that we're longing for? wishing for this advent, the return of that kind of king? Actually, at first blush, that's sort of the first impression we get when it comes to the birth stories in Matthew and Luke. They do kind of paint a picture of a Jesus who arrives on the scene like a great warrior king. Here's what I mean. The, the Greeks and Romans of that day said that Alexander the Great was born from a human mother impregnated by the Greek god Zeus. So Luke one-ups that, and we hear the story of the Virgin Mary and an immaculate conception. The Greeks and Romans said that when Augustus Caesar was born, a star shone bright in the sky. So in Luke, we see not just a bright star, but a sky full of singing angels. The Romans believed that their rulers were given divine authority directly from the gods. So in Matthew, we hear about some magi who were ordered by Herod to do one thing, but eventually chose to follow the one true God 
and went home by another way. You get the picture? Matthew and Luke would want us to believe that not only is Jesus a great king, he is the greatest king, more powerful than any earthly ruler there was. So when we see a hymn like, Come Thou Almighty King, with lyrics like, Father all glorious over all victorious, and Come Thou Incarnate Word, gird on thy mighty sword, we're left with the impression that Jesus is a baby King Arthur or a young Aragorn, ready to slay those oppressive imperial Romans and assume the throne of the universe. Except, as you know, that's not at all the kind of king that Jesus came to be, is it? In fact, that's why there's been some disagreement about whether this hymn really belongs among the Advent hymns to begin with. Because, as it turns out, Jesus did not come to be just another imperial ruler, but one who would be against all imperial power. He did not come to be an earthly ruler, but one who would contradict the powers of this world. In other words, Jesus would take all the expectations of what a king should be and flip them upside down, inverted all of the assumptions of what a Messiah needed to be and turned them on their ear. And this is where you and I will find the good news that we need to hear today. Jesus was born in a stable, not a palace, in a manger, not a throne room. He was attended by shepherds, not by royalty. And he came not to rule with the power of the sword, but with the power of peace, with justice. They were expecting a king to come on horseback with the fanfare of trumpets and the strength of a thousand armies. Instead, they got a king born in the back alley in a feeding trough among the fanfare of bleeding sheep and mooing cows with the frailty and innocence of a newborn child. He would grow up not to follow his father's job as a carpenter, but become a rabbi, a preacher, a miracle healer, and the Messiah. And at every turn throughout his life, Jesus took every expectation, every preconceived notion that we had, and he inverted it. Jesus came to turn our worlds upside down. He would constantly preach the inversion of human reality and the conversion of human souls. He would say things like, the first will be last. The last will be first. He said, whoever saves his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will gain it. He said, if, you, if someone strikes you, turn the other cheek. And he said, I have come not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. The birth of this child 2,000 years ago turned the world upside down. And he's been doing it ever since. In fact, he's still doing it today. Jesus has never stopped the the word of lifting up the lowly and toppling the proud, of raising up the downtrodden and bringing down the powerful, of even taking the rough, disheveled, and messy parts of your own life and putting them back together. How about you? What does Jesus need to invert within your life today? Perhaps there are some of you who are continuing to grieve the loss of a loved one or deal with the pain of a fractured relationship, or battle an ongoing fight against an addiction, 
or trying to sweep away a haunting memory that will not fade. This Jesus comes to turn your world upside down, to break in a word of hope and, and shine on you a light that will pierce your greatest darkness. Just as Isaiah says in today's scripture reading, God comes to take every valley in your life and lift it up, to take every mountain and hill in your life and bring them down, to take every uneven ground in your life and level it off, and to take the rough places in your life and make them plain. In short, this Jesus comes to deliver you, not by wielding the powers of earth, but through the power of love and forgiveness and justice, to show us a way that is guided not by violence and revenge, but through self-sacrifice and humility. Which brings us to one final example in literature of a king who returned. And for some of us, it may be our most favorite example of all. It's in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the classic tale by C.S. Lewis. Its climactic scene contains a powerful and intentional allegory for the self-sacrificial work of Jesus. The enchanted world of Narnia had been cursed by the evil white witch who rendered the land a perpetual snowy and gloomy winter. She also enticed a young boy named Edmund, one of the four children of the Pevensey family, to join her side. Eventually, Edmund's siblings, Lucy, Peter, and Susan, convinced Edmund of the white witch's true evil ways, which led the white witch to declare Edmund a traitor, a sentence punishable only by death. So the white witch rendered this punishment on Edmund. Quote, you at least know the magic which the emperor put into Narnia at the very beginning. You know that every traitor belongs to me as my lawful prey, and that for every treachery, I have a right to kill. And so that human creature is mine. His life is forfeit to me. His blood is my property. Unless I have blood, as the law says, all Narnia will be overturned and perished in fire and water. It is then that we hear the words of Aslan, the powerful kingly lion who befriended the children. He said, it is true, I do not deny it. The punishment by the white witch did require violence as a punishment. So Aslan struck a deal with the white witch. He himself would take the punishment of death in Edmund's place. With the children's Secretly watching from a distance, the white witch and her forces proceeded to torture and kill Aslan on the stone table, an act of self-sacrifice, taking on himself that punishment that Edmund deserved. After his death, Aslan's body disappeared, leaving only a fractured stone table for the children to approach, grieving over the loss of their great friend. Then suddenly... A resurrected Aslan appeared before them, triumphant over death, as well as the forces of the witch. And when the puzzled children beckoned him for an explanation, Aslan offered some words that are an apt description of the power of Jesus Christ. He said, it means that though the witch knew the deep magic, there is a magic deeper still, which she did not know. Her knowledge goes back only to the dawn of time, but if she could 
have looked a little further back into the stillness and the darkness before time dawned, she would have read there a different incantation. She would have known that when a willing victim who had committed no treachery was killed in a traitor's stead, the table would crack and death itself would start working backward. This is the kind of king that Jesus came to be for us. It wielded the power of self-sacrifice and love. It calls us to name the unavoidable state of our guilt because of the sins that sentence us to certain punishment. But it also reminds us that God in Jesus has taken our place, assuming the painful price even within his own body. This is the kind of king that Jesus came to be for us. Not one that would conquer with violence, but with love. To reverse the sinful values of our world and transform them into the values of the kingdom. Jesus did for us what we could not do for ourselves. And he returns again to bring us a hope, joy, love, and peace that will transform our lives and the world. Let's pray. God, thank you for sending Jesus to be our king, and not in a way that we would expect. Thank you for his example of love and forgiveness, that we might be in a right relationship with you and be in full relationships with others. Teach us the way of peace with justice and love with forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope this message gave you some new ways to think about how God can work in the world and in your life. Here are some reflection questions to help you continue processing this content. And if you want to talk about this message with other people or join us in worship, visit hydeparkumc.org forward slash next steps to find out more. We'll see you next time.